Welcome to the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Right? But I want to talk to you this morning out of the idea, and this is kind of going to be the backbone of our, our series in July, and it's the thought that connected things, maybe, there we go, connected things grow. Things that remain connected to a source always grow. Things that are not connected to a source have a tendency to die, or at the very least, not be as productive or as beneficial or as beautiful as they would have been had they stayed connected to the source. Right, And I want you to remember that phrase, connected things grow, all month long, because as we talk through the fruits of the Spirit, there is nine of them, and if you ever went to a children's church service growing up, you probably learned some song about how to remember them. I will, not, I will spare you of having to hear me sing it to you this morning. Because yeah, you, don't, you don't want that moment with me, right? Uh, because, well, you've heard my voice. Anywho. As we get into this, just remember that connected things grow and that this will be kind of the backbone of all of our conversations about fruit all month long, all right? I want to read to you this morning out of John chapter 15, maybe. There we go. Sorry. Technological difficulty. Come on. There we go. All right. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Come on, there we go. Abide in me, and I in you. Other translations say remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. And then he finishes kind of this this conversation with them. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What an interesting passage of scripture that Jesus shares with his disciples that we kind of get this insider's look in, thankful, you know, because of the Bible. And what is really being communicated to them is to listen, is listen, the necessity of the source is more important than what the vine or the branches or even the fruit produced can do on its own. And Jesus is communicating some very interesting things. Number one is that he is the vine and and his father is the vine dresser. 
right? And that the Father comes along, God the Father comes along, and uh, those uh, that bear fruit, he prunes, which even at times can be painful, but it's with the intent to bear more fruit. And then he looks at the vine, and he says, listen, there are parts of this thing that aren't bearing fruit, and if I let them remain, it will choke out the rest, and it will inhibit it from bearing the fruit, so I have to remove it. And there are things in our life that God will come along and say, you know what, that thing is not helping you produce the fruit in your life, so it's better for me to come along now and remove it before it begins to choke out the rest of the things in your life that bears the fruit. Does that make sense this morning? Listen, from God's point of view, your purpose is very simple. Just as a grapevine must do, the main purpose of our lives is to produce fruit. Even more fundamental of a lesson, we must never forget that the owner of the vineyard is in charge, in control, and focused on receiving as much fruit as possible from his vineyard. So if God is looking at our lives, he's saying, you know what, there's some parts of you that just aren't productive. They're not beneficial to you, and they're not beneficial to the purpose that you were created for. So it's best now that I get rid of them. And so he comes along, and through the Holy Spirit, he convicts our lives and says, you know what, maybe you should think about laying this down. And he's so loving when he does it, and he's so gentle, and he's so kind And he comes and says, you know what, this in this area of your life is choking out the rest of the good in your life. So you know what, it's better that I remove, but you know also, you know what, if I cut back this in your life, it'll produce even more fruit because I have a picture of what your life is supposed to look like, right? And I'm gonna help shape that into something beautiful. You guys ever been by houses that they take their shrubs and they like turn their shrub into like an animal or a dinosaur? Like, right? I wish I could do that just so I could, one, just really to mess with my neighbors, but just to, just how cool, like I've, I've you know, uh, in some of the places I've traveled, you know, in some of the like uppity, really like the wealthy, they, they have their stuff like cut into like, you know, there was one time I saw like a, an airplane out of some shrubs and I'm like, how does somebody do that? And it's because the person tasked with creating that has a picture in mind about what they want it to look like. And then they begin to create from that picture. The same is true about God. He has a picture of what our lives are supposed to look like. And everybody's different. Because if we were all the same, that would be boring, right? And so he looks at our lives and says, you know what, we're going to have to trim some stuff here. And we're going to have to cut some stuff here. Oh, this is dead. We've got to get that out of there. And he begins to form and make us and mold us and cut into us to create what he intended us for. Can I tell you this morning that how we respond to the situations of life inform us of what kind of fruit we are bearing, right? How we handle the ups and downs and the the, the challenges and the struggles even of life will help inform us about what is my life bearing out to the rest of the world? What does it look like to the people who are looking at me? Because whether we realize it or not, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute, whether we realize it or not, People watch our lives for a whole lot of different reasons. They also watch our social media for a lot of different reasons, right? Like, I'll just be honest with you. I 
don't post a whole bunch on social media. Like I'm not out there, you know, I don't, I don't give updates about my day. Like just got coffee with the friend. Like I don't do that because I don't think anybody cares that much about whether I got coffee or not. And if you do, I will, I can update you and tell you, you know, this morning at 645, I pulled into the Dunkin' on Elm Road. I got a medium cold brew with some foam on there and cream and sugar because I can't drink real coffee. I have to hide the fact that there are coffee in it. So I just saved you from having to read my Facebook post. But people are watching and they're looking at us, you know, and people just still scroll their phones just to, you know, and they call it trolling others, but they just want to see what, what they're doing, what they're posting and what's going on so they can make an informed decision about them. Whether it's right or wrong, it's just what people do. Let me share a story with you this morning. There's this tale of an old woman or an older woman who had finished shopping and she returned to her car. As she approached her vehicle, however, she found four men inside her car. The increasing crime rate in America had disgusted her and she had long prepared for this very moment. I don't know what that means. It says she dropped her shopping bags, I guess now I do know what it means, drew a handgun from her purse and screamed, I have a gun! and I know how to use it. Get out of the car. (laughs) The men did not wait for a second invitation. Doors were opening, bodies were flying, and four men uh, ran uh, like crazy from the gun-toting grandmother. (laughs) Despite her Clint Eastwood imitation, the woman was shaken by the experience. It took her a moment to gather her shopping bags and get into the car. She kept an eye out for the hoodlums, but he didn't return. I hope someone calls me a hoodlum one day just so I can hear the word used. She put the gun back in her purse and got her keys. For a moment, she thought the problem was her trembling hand, but no matter how she tried, she simply could not get her key to turn the ignition. In time, she took a better look at the car. It didn't seem as familiar as it once had. About that time, she noticed an identical car parked four or five spaces away and realized that she'd just become part of America's crime wave. She'd stolen someone else's car. According to the story, she transferred the groceries to her own car and drove to the police station to turn herself in. The desk sergeant to whom she told the story nearly fell off his chair laughing. He pointed to the other end of the counter where four very frightened men were reporting a senior adult carjacking. After she made a full apology, thankfully, no charges were filed. And that is why I just turn my alarm on and find my car because I lose it constantly. And listen, I know this is a little, that was a little bit of a comical way to illustrate my point, but I want to give you two thoughts real quick. Number one is people, now more than ever, use our behavior as Christians to make judgment about, judgments about God. They do. They'll look at your social media, they'll look at your posts, they'll look at your pictures, they'll look at your life, and they never catch you on the blessed God-honoring day or in that moment. They always catch you when your flesh is a little bit up and it's like, you know, you've, you've spouted off or you've said something sarcastic or you were acting out of character because you were a frustrated person for a moment. And that's when they, they, they jump and they catch you and it's like, oh, 
Some Christian they are, right? Anybody ever had that experience, right? I have, and I'm like, listen, it's just a bad day, and tomorrow's a new day, so get out of my face. But people now more than ever use our behavior as Christians to make judgments about God. And the second thing I want to tell you is, listen, when you step in it, please be sure to clean it up. Because if anybody's ever owned a dog long enough, you will know that when you let your dog out, your backyard is its bathroom, right? I told my children that the other day, and it, like for the first time it clicked in their head that, uh, that they play, if you will, their, their, their trampoline and their, their playhouse is technically set up in my bulldog's bathroom. Because the bulldog doesn't know, it just knows that this grass is the appropriate place for me to do what I need to do. Because if I do it inside, the giant humans who feed me get upset with me. And they put me in prison, which is the dog crate, right? And it doesn't go well. And if you've ever had a dog or, uh, you know, been at somebody's house that has one, there's a good chance that you've wandered out into their backyard and you've stepped in what I call a landmine right? That creates an odor that is not pleasant to your nostrils. And it gets on your shoes, or the worst is if you're in bare feet, because it gets between the toes, right? And here's what I want you to understand this morning. Listen, that's a little bit like life. Sometimes we act out of character, and we do things that aren't reflective of who we really are. We just had a bad day, or we just had a bad moment, or we were stressed for a second, or, you know, so-and-so said something, or this, or or it was the culmination of some stress in our life. It was, you know, it's not really who we are, and it's not really a fair judgment, but sometimes, as Christians, you know, we we step in it, and that's okay, as long as you clean it up, as long as you're strong enough to say, you know what, hey, listen. I know yesterday I said some things that, that weren't reflective of who I am or who I want to be, and can I just tell you I'm sorry and that, you know, I'm going to be better at it. You know, I, I had a bad day or, you know, so-and-so did this or, you know, this is going on in my life. Not that you have to be overly specific, but what I want you to understand is, listen, you'll step in it from time to time. You'll insert your foot in your mouth from time to time. You'll think before, you'll type that Facebook post and you're going to get ready to hit send and the Holy Spirit's going to be like, mm. Do you really want us to say that that way? And then you have the tension of, should I hit it? You know, and now everybody posts a tweet out there, and, and then like four minutes later, they delete it like it never happened. It's like, no, it happened. But listen, just be sure to clean it up. Okay? Amen? Amen. Now let's get to what we're really talking about all month long, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. We got Galatians 5, chapter, tw- or, yeah, uh, chapter 5, verse 22 to 26. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, flesh, there we go, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And verse 26 finishes out and says this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, uh, one another, envying one another. And here's what the purpose of Galatians 5 is for our lives. It's showing a distinction between the acts of the flesh, which, which if you read a few verses back in the chapter, are listed there. And then what uh, Paul, who is writing to the Galatians, is doing is he's trying to show the difference between the new life in Christ and the things that we should be producing with our life, 
by listing these nine, what, what the Bible calls fruits of the Spirit. And then he says in 25, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Why? Because there was a whole bunch of people living in, in, in their context who were having a hard time separating their old life and how they lived and how they worshiped and how they acted and how they treated people and the things that it produced with the new life that they were to take up in Christ. And so Paul, in his, his wisdom to the church, is saying, listen, let me give you some ingredients, some fruits that will help you know if you're bearing the right kind of things that reflect Christ to the world. Because if you don't have something to go by, then you're just out there wondering, am I doing it the right way? There are times in my life where I've wondered, am I even serving Jesus right? Does, this, does how I'm living, does how I'm behaving, does how I'm acting, how I'm treating my, my wife or my children or my family or, or you know, any of the above, is it, a be, is it a good reflection of Jesus? Because if somebody were to watch my life, would they see Jesus in it? And that's when I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me be a better representative of Christ so that people who don't know Jesus can find in me and how I live my life the change that Jesus brings, amen? amen? So I want you to think in two columns because we have the fruits of the Spirit and we have the gifts of the Spirit and they are the things given to us through the Holy Spirit with intentional purposes, but they're different in what they produce. So I want just just check this out. The gifts of the Spirit draw the unbeliever. We call that the awe of God, right? You know, uh, obviously there was no technology in the Bible days. Nobody was texting like, you know, Peter didn't pull out a cell phone and be like, hey guys, you got to get over here. Jesus just pulled somebody's withered hand and made it straight. Like that didn't happen. So what would happen is word would spread that Jesus and and his followers were doing these, these miraculous things. Dead people were rising, sick people were getting healed, bound people in demonic oppressions and possessions were getting set free. All of this miraculous stuff was happening and it drew crowds of people because they were in awe of what he was doing. So the gifts of the Spirit draw the unbeliever, and we call that the awe of God. Wow. So-and-so was dead, and now he's alive. Lazarus had been in that tomb for four days, stinking it up, and Jesus, in a few sentences, brings him back to life. And people heard about that stuff, and they came running and became kind of the outer crowd of who, they, uh, of who uh, his followers were. The other part of the fruits of the Spirit, or, the, or the, the things that the Holy Spirit gives us, is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's designed to mature the believer. And we call that the depth of God. It's the character building things that shift our life from who we were previous to who God wants us to be or has called us to be when we take up the new life in him. Listen, if you want to know how you, how you are, we are growing as followers of Jesus, then don't focus on how gifted you are or how well you use the gifts that God has given you. The evidence of, uh, of your growth is found in the fruits that your life is bearing, which brings you into maturity. Listen, another way to say it is this. If the light that is on you 
is brighter than the light that is in you, then the light that is on you will destroy you. Right? The gifts draw people, right? The character or the fruit of the maturity of our lives in Christ keep people. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to grow us so that we bear fruit, right? So we, we in a moment, you know, a moment ago rather, we read the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, peace, all of those things, right? But I want you to pay particularly close attention to how God orders things because the order of things is important in Scripture. There's an intentionality in a structure behind what, where God places things in lists and genealogies and all of those things. And the fact that love comes first is an indication that we need to pay a little bit more attention to love and why it's important, right? So simple definition, love seeks the highest good in others. Simple definition, love seeks the highest good of others. It's heartfelt concern and steadfast practical care that is part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in the life of believers. As important as the order of things is in scripture, it's also important to understand the, the word used in the original language to, that, that we would get the word love from today. And the word used in Galatians 5 to represent the word love is agape, love. And what that means in a simple way is showing goodwill towards others. It's an affectionate version of love. It's the kind of love that you would show to a spouse or a family member or a close friend. This is the same love that Jesus showed us on the cross. You know, I heard it said once that love is the greatest thing or the greatest feeling, rather, we can ever experience. To know we are loved makes life worth living. Knowing that the love being listed in Galatians 5 is a deep, intimate kind of love that Jesus has for you and me. It's not just the surface use of the word love. Our culture has, has kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, cheapened the, the use of love. You know, the, every teenage relationship now, uh, within like seconds of going out, like, I love you so much. Yeah. Just love you. You're my everything. No, you're not. In eight minutes, that relationship's over. Just so you know. Every teenager that ever came to my office when I was in youth ministry that's like, I'm gonna marry that person. I'm like, bro, you're in, you're in 10th grade. Good luck. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, because it does, but in the same sense, 99% of the time it will not. But I wanna read to you Galatia, or Romans rather, chapter eight, verses 38 to 39. And this is uh, in Romans, an illustration of God's love towards us. It says, for I am convinced 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same love word, agape, that is described in Galatians 5, uh, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, is also the same version of the word love that is used in Romans 8 here, speaking of God's love for us. That this, this depth of connection and intimacy that comes from us knowing him and him knowing us can't not be taken away from us because of how great his love is for us. Amen? Listen, the manifestation of this love on our part is to take that love that was extended to us from God and be an extension of it to others. And there we find the tension and the hard part. Because we, we, we've said it before in some series in the past that loving people is one of the hardest things we will ever do. We love our kids, we love our families. That, that's not as challenging, even though it can be at times, depending on what the family reunion situation looks like and what the holiday situation looks like. But at the end of the day, there's an almost understood love, even if the family unit is dysfunctional, that I got your back no matter what. But it's to that person that we really don't have any real relationship with, right, that, that offends us, hurts us, lies about us, stabs us in the back, causes us a promotion at work, says something that gets us in trouble, you know, hurts us, oh, you know, all of the above, or someone in, in government or politics that we don't agree with. Therein lies the tension and the challenge of, can I love them in spite of how they treat me? And that is hard because my personality is to give back to someone what they give to me. And if you're a poo face to me, my wiring in the flesh is I will be that way to you. And that's where I have to let the fruit of the spirit of love reign in me and say, that's not how Jesus would do it, Andrew. So you don't get to do it like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you honestly, there are some days that I do really well at it. And there are other days that I fall flat on my face with it and I step in it and then I have to go back and clean it up. But both serve to mature us that we might become more like Jesus because of it. You know, love in our culture is often misused and at times manipulated for selfish means. Right? It's a word that evokes so much emotion that when not used appropriately and carefully can make a mess of almost any relationship or friendship. Love only has four letters in it, but it is a big word. And it carries a lot of unsaid things with it, right? When you say, I love you, you're communicating something much deeper than just the surface of what the word is. It's, I'm committed to you, I'm connected to you, I got your back, if you're fighting, I guess I'm fighting too, even though we're probably gonna lose. It's in that love that, that, that relationships are de uh, deepened and strengthened, but it's also in the misuse of that word that people get hurt and feel manipulated.
we must guard the significance and meaning of our words. It's not a word we should use lightly. Because we have this, there's this, this sociological and psychological mentality that is kind of an undertone in our generation. And we call it the throwaway mentality. Let me illustrate it for you. The, the, the guy that kind of coined the phrase, he shares this scenario He's in which kids have a PS5 that broke. And he takes it to a repairman. And the, the, the man tells uh, this, this guy that it will cost $50 just to look at it, and then another 50 to 100 if something is wrong with it. I wish I could make money just looking at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if you want me to open this door, $50. I'm going to see if I can't do that. And then it's going to cost 50 to 100 if something is wrong with it. He says, given that a new PS5 retails, and he throws a figure in here that I don't think is accurate, but around $200, the repairman tells him not to fix the old one and just go out and get a new one. The gentleman then states that this mentality does not just have to do with things, but also with people. Because it is easier to get rid of it than to fix it. We can get rid of a marriage. We can get rid of a friendship. We can get rid of a roommate. Why? You just go out and get a new one. And in our minds, we've reasoned that it's probably less work to replace something than it is to invest the time and the energy into fixing something. The second, a person, the second a person stops being gratified by that PS5, it is time to get it replaced and love a new one. The moment a close friend speaks words that are treacherous and difficult to navigate, it's time to jump ship and change course. Right? For the, and this is what he says, for the map we have been using is not set in stone, nor does it command a permanent love that begs the question of, could you explain to me why you said that? But rather a love that echoes, because you have said that and disappointed me, I am leaving. This mentality of you are replaceable will not allow for long-lasting relationships with others. And we have to fight against that current of, I can just go find it somewhere else. And we have to be aware that, listen, there's a good reason that God brought certain people into our lives. And we must prioritize those relationships in a way that strengthens them, even in conflict, rather than pushes them away in hopes that we can find someone that just simply agrees with us all the time and makes us feel happy. Right? This is what he finishes out with. He says, there are periods of time in every relationship, every family, where people can't give, they can only take. Right? So if I always have a consumer mentality of I'm in this to get, there's going to be seasons of life where you're not getting much, but rather you're giving a ton, and you're going to start to look to get out. 
Such a perception does not align with the enduring love we are called to maintain when the circumstances get rough and demand sacrifice. Like just those couple paragraphs alone like is enough of a punch in the gut to me to say, you know what, I should probably examine the relationships of my life and make sure that one, I'm not so self-focused that it's all about what I can get out of it. Right, because the tendency will then be when I stop getting what I want from it to just push it aside and move on to the next person or thing or organization that gives me what I want. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we make the shift from a consumer-driven throwaway version of love where we move on when things get hard? We choose to be vulnerable with our love. That's the answer. We choose to be vulnerable with our love. Maybe you're asking yourself, what is vulnerability? Vulnerability is willingness to show emotion or to allow one's weakness to be seen or known. Even in a more simpler way, it's at times willingness to be emotionally hurt. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Vulnerability looks like waking up every day and loving someone who may or may not love us back, whose safety we can't ensure, who may stay in our lives or may leave without a moment's notice, who may be loyal to the day they die or betray us tomorrow. That's what vulnerability looks like. Bren Brown, who's a professor at the University of Houston, in her book, Daring Greatly, says vulnerability at its core is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. I will tell you this morning that the things being described are extremely difficult. And they are counterintuitive to our human nature. But they are all together right with respect to the new life that Christ wants us to walk in. Murray Decker wrote that vulnerability is scary. But uh, he would go on to write that if love is not vulnerable, what is it? It's tremendously vulnerable. There's no potential for love without vulnerability. Listen, we must learn how to stay in the gap of brokenness with another person and not pull away or try to get out. We are to jump into the trenches with people over and over again if that's what it requires. Now listen, I'm not telling you that in every situation you're just supposed to endure, endure, endure. There is at times health in breaking away and removing uh, someone from your life. I wholeheartedly believe that. But in a culture that is so quick to throw things aside and cast things away, we have to make sure that we're preserving the important things in the relationships that God has intended for our lives. Why? Because remember at the beginning we said connected things grow. We must be willing to say I'm in your corner and I'm not leaving even if I get nothing out of this. In doing so, we become people who can hold another person's hurt with a protective and unyielding hand. 
and we refuse to let only the satisfactory moments be all we get. And maybe as I get ready to close this morning, Julie, if you want to come, maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, why would you talk about this? Because this is extra and it's hard. And maybe you're asking yourself the question, is it even really worth it? Maybe you've said at times, you don't know what they put me through. You don't know how hard it is. Maybe you're even sitting there this morning thinking, doesn't God want me to be happy? I'll tell you, not necessarily. Uh, But I can tell you that God does want you to be joyful. And we'll talk more about that in week two. But if I may, I I, want to remind us that Jesus always serves, especially in dealing with hard things, as our best example. So maybe you're asking, why should I operate in a vulnerable, enduring love? The simple, I find, which is often the best answer, is because Jesus did it for you and for me. Let me give you three verses real quickly. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And finally, with the most familiar verse in Scripture, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So let's just use those three verses for a moment so that we can see uh, how God feels about us and the love that he has. And see, remember in Romans 5.8, we discover that God demonstrated or that he showed us a picture of love. In 2 Corinthians God gives us the why of his love. It says for our sake, it wasn't for him, but it was for us that he became sin, Jesus, who was not sinful. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God through him. So now, not only do we have a picture because it was showed to us through Jesus, Corinthians gives us the why so that Jesus could take upon himself sin. And then John 3.16 tells us, listen, the love that I'm referring to is selfless because it's gifted. He gave it, it was free, and it cannot be taken back. So like I said, Jesus is always our best example. And listen, to remain connected to the source, which is God, we will have to exhibit that kind of love to a world that so desperately needs it. We will have to show a love that is demonstrated. We'll have to show why we love so that it's explained. And we have to be willing to give love freely. No strings attached. I'm not telling you you got to agree with everybody. I'm not telling you if you love me. I'm not telling you to believe the lie that says if you love me, you'll agree and you'll affirm all of the things I do. That's, that's a lie from the enemy. But what I am telling you this morning is that Jesus calls us to love people well. And as we get into this series over the next four weeks, remember the order of things is important. The 
the key thing you will discover in accomplishing the other eight fruits of the Spirit is that they must, for them to be successful in your life, they must always uh, have the undercurrent of love attached to it. So I want you to stand your feet this morning. We're going to pray together. I know everybody has more than likely some type of 4th of July plans, whether that be with friends or family. And, and, and as fun as those can be, sometimes those can be hectic. They can be stressful. That cousin you only see every year or so knows just how to push your buttons, just knows how to row you up. And the real test of where we're at as a believer is how do I respond when the person isn't showing me the same thing I just described to you. So I'm gonna pray for you in a moment. I'm gonna pray for myself that the Lord would help us love people well, to love our city well. As people come to this campus and they, they, they find hope in Christ here, that we would love them no strings attached because Jesus loves us. So Father, right now in your presence, I thank you for these incredible people. For those watching us online this morning, for those traveling and, and, and doing uh, 4th of July things, that you, more than anything else, Father, would surround them with your love, that you would show your goodness and faithfulness to them, that they would sense your presence and know that there's nothing that can separate them from it. But Lord, when people try our patience and, and situations in life come up and, and we're frustrated or we're sleep deprived or we're hungry and, and our emotions are out of control, that we would love people well in spite of how we're feeling, in spite of what they're doing for us. That's the challenge. Help us to be an example of your son to this world and to stay connected to you as we reach people. Lord, bless your people today. Help them to have an incredible 4th of July. Help them to celebrate the freedoms of this nation and, and what it took to get it for us. Lord, let nobody uh, shoot fireworks off in a way that causes them fingers to be blown up. <laughs> to eat well, to celebrate, and to rejoice that you are God. We love you today. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Church, you said... Amen. Celebrate Jesus this morning. Amen. Guys, listen, I love you so much. All month long, we're doing Fruits of the Spirit. So bring somebody with you, invite him out. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, joy and peace. So be a part of that. If you have children uh, in, our, in our kids' ministry, you can go ahead and make your way down, and there will be one of our workers there to help you pick them up and make sure we get you uh, the right kids so that you can get on with your day, right? Uh, but listen, have an incredible 4th of July. Enjoy this beautiful weather. Go eat some hot dogs, some hamburgers. Fill yourselves up. Light some fireworks, right? And just enjoy time together. Guys, have an incredible weekend, and uh, we will see you next week. If you enjoyed today's message, there are a couple things I would love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today by going to give.rockofgrace.org. And thanks again for joining us on the Rock of Grace Warren podcast.